Jeremiah chapter 18, it's a familiar passage of scripture talking about the potter and the clay. And beginning at verse 1, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel, and it seemed good to the potter to make. Verse 5, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord. Look at the clay is in the hands of the potter. So are you in my hands, O house of Israel. I want to continue on this theme Uh, You can go back to the first slide there. God is for me. This I know. God is for me. We talked about this a little bit last week. You can look around and see people, your co-workers maybe, or students in school with you, maybe family and friends, and you can say, I don't know that these people are really for me or on my side. You know, they say that they're on my side and But when times get hard, it seems like they're nowhere to be found. Or they say, I'm with you all the way, and yes, I agree with you. But when the rubber meets the road, the story changes a little bit. They don't seem quite as firm as they were when it was just you two talking together, and they were with you. Story changes a little bit. You can say that of family and friends. You can sometimes say that of a spouse. You can say that of parents or children. You can say that of best friends, ones that you grew up with. Sometimes we disappoint each other. Why? Because we're human beings. But there is one thing that I know, saints, and that is that we have a God who will never change. He is not like your family. He is not like your friends. He is not like your spouse or your brother. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. God is for you, saints, even when you are not on your own side. When you have a negative confession and say, I just can't do it. It doesn't seem like I can do this thing. I keep failing over and over again. God comes in and says, listen, I'm on your side. And if I be for you, who can be against you? God is for you. And it's not because of anything that you can or will do for him. Come on, somebody. Not because of anything that you can do for God. In fact, if you were to say, God, I want to gain your favor, your very best on your very best day is not good enough. I hate to disappoint you, but I want to tell you this morning that your very best When all the conditions are right, on a sunny day, when you have all your strength and you're feeling great and you do your very best to gain God's favor, it's not good enough. It's not good enough, saints. There's nothing you can do to gain his favor. But when we were yet sinners, he died on the cross. for. When we were yet in our sin. In other words, when we were yet sinning, 
When we were yet doing something contrary to God's word, he died on a cross for you that he might lavishly lay his favor, his grace, and his mercy upon you, that he might teach you his kingdom ways. You see, God didn't love Israel because they were a great nation. God didn't love Israel because they were a good people. In fact, the Bible says that they were a stiff-necked people, a stubborn people. They committed spiritual fornication, folks. They committed spiritual adultery. Listen, they were not a model nation. God could have just wiped them off of the face of the earth. And that's where Jeremiah comes in. That's where the prophet tried to reason with them. And if you know anything about Jeremiah and his story... Jeremiah tried to reason with the people, tried to give the word of the Lord to the people, yet they mocked him, if you really know the story. They threw him in a prison. They threw him in a mud hole and left him to die. They resisted every word that came from his mouth. They actually tormented him. But then along comes this word to Jeremiah, a word from the Lord. Along comes this chapter, along comes these verses, this passage that we're dealing with this morning to say to Israel that I am for you. I am for you. Now what do I mean when I say God is for you? Here's my definition of that phrase. God is for me when? All the time. All the time. In the good and the bad, he is for me. God is on your side. He is the best person to have on your side. In fact, when I fall, he is on my side. In disappointments and in encouragements, he is on my side. When extraordinary trouble and pain come, God is for he is all-powerful, always loving, and always ready to help me. Guess what? Right now, God is here for us, saints. Psalm 56, 9 says that then my enemies will retreat when I call to you. This I know, God is on my side. The Good News Translation says the day I call to you, my enemies will turn back. I know this because God is on my side. God is on my side. We must believe that this morning. That God is for you. This I know. God is for me with what? He's for me with his goodness. God is for me with his strength. God is for me answering my prayers. And the most important one for me is God is for me. And I don't know about you, but this really hits home with me. Never giving up on me. God never gives up on you. Have you been in a situation where you felt like you failed God time and time again? Guess what? He's not giving up on you. Have you fallen short with that thing yet again? God is here to tell you that he is not giving up on you. In fact, he gives us an illustration here. He gives us a word. He told Jeremiah, he said, get up on your feet and go down to the potter's house. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. I know that the people mocked you. I know that they threw you in a pit. 
I know that they don't listen to the words that you say, even though they are my very words coming through your mouth. And you can't believe that they won't listen to you. Get up on your feet. Let me show you something. Go down to the potter's house. When you get there, I'll tell you what I have to say to you. And Jeremiah said, so I went down there to the potter's house. Sure enough, the potter was working with the clay on the wheel. And the amazing thing to me, Jeremiah is saying, when the clay was a little marred, not because of the potter, but because of the clay is imperfect. Come on. When the clay gets a little marred, the potter just breaks it apart a little bit and then puts it back together even better than it was before. God told him, that's what I am doing to you and for my house of Israel. Jeremiah 18.3 said, then I went down to the potter's house. There he was at that wheel making something. My message to you this morning is that God is making something. You feel like you're out there on an island all by yourself? Just know that God is making something. You feel like you're in so much trouble you don't know how you're going to get out of it? God is making something. You feel like that this relationship is lost. You've done all you can. You've given everything from your side and you're not getting anything back. God is making something this morning. Come on, you feel like that you're by yourself. You feel like that others are not for you. You feel like you've tried time and time again. You're ready to give up, but guess what? God doesn't give up. God is making something. The potter is making something. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, owned a slave ship. He was a cruel man. He was a vulgar captain, a slave trader. He was a deserter and a trafficker. In fact, he was a, a blasphemous man. But much like Paul, God got a hold of this man. In fact, long story short, saved him, cleaned up all of those things in his life, Turned him into a preacher. Man became a preacher. But he was rejected for seven years. Finally, the church in England ordained him. Sounds familiar to me. Sounds like Paul. After he had killed and murdered Christians, God saved him, knocked him down, blinded him, cleaned him up, sent him to the Jews, but they rejected him because they were afraid of him. But Paul had to be patient because he said there will be much things that you suffer. And so John Newton had to suffer some things because of his past. But guess what? He went on to disciple a young poet named William Cower. And William Cower was suicidal. But he discipled him and brought him up and he wrote some of the greatest poems known to man. John Newton became a, a, a spiritual father and advisor to William Wilberforce, who a college in Ohio is now named after. John Newton became a great man because God didn't give up on him. If he didn't give up on John Newton, he will not give up on you, folks. Only he can see what its final shape will be, that clay. Only he can see what it will turn out to be. God is sovereign. He is the one who fashions the clay. 
And so stop trying to fashion the clay this morning. Come on. Be on that wheel and allow God to fashion you. God is the potter. He's gracious and compassionate. His invisible hands are at work in unusual ways. Pulling, prodding, pounding, rolling out the clay. Working with it with precise wisdom that only he can see. John Newton's last words were these. He said, I am a great sinner but Christ is a great Savior. I love those words. But today, with the revelation that we have, I, I would even upgrade his words to say this. I was a great sinner, but Christ is an even greater Savior. Because where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. Come on, that doesn't mean that like John Newton, you won't have to go through some things. Like Paul, you won't have to, like David, like Noah, you won't have to go through some things as God is shaping you and molding you there on that potter's wheel. You're going to have to go through some things for God to make you a, an imperfect vessel perfect. But you can't out him because he'll just break you on that wheel and make you again. Now that part's up to you. You want to keep... Sinning outside of his grace, he'll keep on breaking you. But if you would sit there and allow God to mold you and enjoy the oven, as one prophet said some years ago, <laughs> enjoy the oven, my brother, my sister, because God is making something. And he has some intentions. The potter is on a mission. He's on a mission this morning. God the potter has a singular purpose and it's all about you remember last week we said if God had a refrigerator your picture would be on it <laughs> I love that <laughs> at your game God is right there cheering you on that's how much he loves you he has your picture on his refrigerator God the potter excels at taking formless clay transforming it by his grace into vessels in honor, of honor and glory. He takes the are-nots and make them into something. Heaven is filled with are-nots, but we seek glory on this earth so much. Jesus said, you have your reward. What are the potter's ingredients? I'll tell you, he achieves lofty goals with inferior materials. You feel a little inferior at times? Feel like somebody's better than you because they do it better, they look better, they say the right thing all the time. It seems like things just work out for them. I had friends like that. It seems like things just always work out for them, no matter what. Even if they trip and fall, they do it gracefully. It seems like things just seem to work out for them. And I just feel inferior around them. Guess what? God can take the inferior and achieve some lofty, lofty goals. But what we have to believe this morning is that I am on the wheel and I believe that God is at work. I'm not a lonely pot of clay on the wheel. I'm on the wheel and God is at work. Come on, he's going to add a little water and then he's going to mold you and shape you with his powerful hands. I remember growing up and I was around my grandfather a lot more than I was around my father. And my grandfather to me was just a powerful man. He had been in the big one, as he called it, 
WW2, and he, had, he used to tell me stories of how the mortar shells riddled his body and how uh, he fought through the jungle. And, uh, you know, one time a scorpion was on his chest, and he wasn't even afraid. He just knocked it off, and, you know, he just went about his business and, in the war and all of those things, and he had big, powerful hands. I remember one day when I was very young, and I, 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 I talked back to him. And he just walked over, and I thought I was faster than him. You know, I was, I was small, and he was an older man, so I said, I can outrun him. And by the time I went to take a step, he had taken one giant step and snatched me up, just like this, upside down. Gave me three whacks. <laughs> and that was it. Sent me on my way. And I was just so intimidated by this man. However, if I ever was afraid, if I was ever somewhere with him and I, and I got afraid of, of someone or, or the lights went out and it was dark, I ran right to him and I felt safe. He was a strong tower to me. I knew how powerful he was and I was not afraid once I got in his lap, in his bosom. God is this way for us saints. He has strong, powerful hands. And yes, he will mold you and he will make you and he will break you and he will build you back up. But you can always run into his powerful hands and be safe. He is a strong tower for you. In Israel, the potter used a small tick-like insect to repair broken vessels. This little insect lived on the blood of bulls and goats. The potter would crush the insect between his fingers and his thumb. And he would mix the blood with the clay to form a mortar of glue. And he worked the substance into the cracked area, and he sealed the break. Then he put the pottery back into the fire. And if the vessel cracked again, the process was repeated as often as necessary. Only after it came out uncracked could it be released for service. The vessel determined whether or not it would accept the blood. If the vessel would accept the blood, and the forming and the molding of God, then the vessel would be ready for service. Too often, vessels try to jump off the wheel and go out and do some things, but there's a little crack that they don't even see, a little chink in their armor that they're unaware of. But the potter knows about the crack. So the potter gathers you back up, puts you back on the wheel, applies some more blood, puts you back in the fire. And then when you come out and you're ready for service, then you can go out and do what God has called you to do. God doesn't send marred clay out. Marred clay will go out on its own, but God doesn't send marred clay out. You see, marred vessels are remade into something brand new. The clay does not shape its own mold. The clay cannot stop the wheel from turning and jump off. The clay is in the hands of the sovereign God. The clay is of no great value by itself. Too often we get clay that thinks it's of great value on its own because of the way God made it. But without that potter, the clay is nothing. God works with our messes and makes something new. He makes the marred clay, the messed up clay, he makes it New. People who have messed up, God can come in and make you new. And your situation 
new. This is the way God works with us. He'll take that vessel and he'll remake it into a new one. Chapter 4, verse 4 of chapter 18 in Jeremiah, he said, So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good, now listen, to the potter to make. As it seemed good to the potter. Potter has reshaped some flawed vessels. There's just four things, and I'll just leave you with this. Four things I want you to know about the potter. Number one is, God the potter has the power. Now, we don't go anywhere until we believe this basic truth here, that God has the power. Now, when I say we need to believe that God has the power, I'm not talking about speaking it only with our lips, because we can say a lot of things. But I'm talking about walking as if we know that God has the power. Come on. And you can tell people who believe that God has the power by their confession. And by the words that come out of their lips, which comes from their heart, their innermost being. Do you really believe that God has the power? Well, he does. Secondly, we need to understand that God has the authority. He doesn't need to counsel with anybody. He doesn't need to check with the board or the elders. <laughs> come on. He don't need to go to the chairman. He doesn't need to get a vote on it. God has the authority and all decisions are final. <laughs> there is no appeal unless it comes to him. Come on. He is the judge, he's the appellate judge, and he is the Supreme Court. All by himself. But I'm glad to know that because he's the one that I call daddy. Come on. I know him personally and so do you. We call him Abba Father. And if anyone... If I wanted anyone in the world to have all power and all authority, I would want it to be my father, the one that birthed me. Come on. The one whose DNA that I have, for I know that he loves me. I'm glad he has all the power and all the authority. But I want you to know also, number three, the way that he molds you and makes you is God uses pressure. He has to do it, saints. But we remember Romans 8, 28, and we know what? That all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let's not lose sight of his purpose. Come on. A setback is really a setup. Come on. For God to move us forward. The potter uses pressure to mold the clay, and I'm talking about serious pressure. He never stops, he never rests, always moves us toward the goal. He, saints, is for us. God is for us. Now, pressure can be overwhelming sometimes. Seems like it's destructive, or it can be just what is needed. And that's the way God uses pressure. Hudson Taylor said this, it matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. If we make sure it never comes between us and our Lord, then the greater the pressure, the more it presses us to him. The greater the pressure, the more it presses us to him. You see, heavy pressures in your life are often things God is using to press you into him. And then lastly, God is always in control. 
He's always in control. Don't you ever think that God is not in control. Now, the situation may seem like it got out of control. The people seem like they just got out of control. I don't know what's going on in this place. People going crazy. They got out of control. Gas prices got out of control. The government, oh, they got out of control. They way out of control. <laughs> Come on. Even the church seems like sometimes they get out of control. But God is always in control. God is always on the throne with us in the palm of his hand, working on us. He knows every situation before it happens. I tell you this, and we can't understand it. You think you do, but you really don't. God was already there at the situation before it happened. When you get there, he's already been there. When this situation comes upon you, think about it for a minute. When it comes upon you, God was already there waiting on you. He lives in eternity. Already knew it was going to happen. So when you mess up, oh my goodness, he already knew it. When you go to him to confess your sin, don't lie about it. You might as well just say what happened because he already knows. Just lay it out before him. Come on. Just lay it out before him. Saints, we must understand this morning. So much more to say on the subject, but we must understand this morning that God is on your side. God is for you and not against you. He wants you to succeed. The only, I'll say this, there's a, a, little, a little song that I listen to, not very popular, but it's, uh, it's just a real uh, one-minute uh, song, musical, and it, it says this, the guy sings over and over, success is in your hands. That's all he says through this whole song. Success is in your hands. And saints, God wants you to know this morning that success is in your hands as long as you are in his hands. You make the decision. You make the call. You make the choice. Will you remain on the potter's wheel this morning and allow him to mold you and shape you? Or will you jump off and have to get broken, blood applied, go back in the fire for a time, and then have him mold you again? What will you do? You can go around the mountain as many times as you want because God lives outside of time. Guess what? He's got time. He's got time. <laughs> but it's up to you when you want to go to the next level. 